Hello. Hello. Welcome to Infinite Cast, part five. Hi. A podcast about Infinite Jest. Mm-hmm. This is actually our second attempt at this episode. We went camping last weekend and I thought it would be fun to bring the gear and the book and uh, maybe get some, you know, field recorded Infinite Jest like out in the woods yeah. where you could hear all the crickets chirping and something, but we didn't really get to it till the end of the night. We were in the tent, uh, very, very drunk uh, and not a little stoned. <laughs> not just a little stoned. And um, fortunately, uh, I was not being super diligent about the recording and one of our microphones was cutting out the entire time. And mm-hmm. that audio is unusable. So you will be spared us uh, very, very um, inebriatedly riffing through one of the toughest parts of the book. Yeah, the timing was not great. But now I have to do it again. Yes. So do you want to intro this segment? Yeah. All right. So we, we just finished getting introduced to the medical attache uh, who is about to watch the mysterious cartridge. and We've left left him. But now we're going to a segment that I think it's by far the worst in the book. I guess it's fine that it's just like we're getting it over with, but it's David Foster Wallace's attempt at really bad uh, African-American vernacular English. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I, the only solution I have for reading this is just to read it just normally. The only way out is through. The only way, yeah. So I'm just going to read it yeah, without you have to trying read it. to participate in whatever the fuck he's trying to you do. You have to read it like a speak and spell, like a text to English uh, translator. Here of the trial sized dove bar. No, I, say, I, won't, I won't read it like a robot. Um, all right, shall we get into it? Go. <sighs> Wardeen say her mama ain't treat her right. Reginald, he come round to my blacktop at my building where me and Dolores Epps jump double Dutch, and he say, Clinette, Wardine be down at my crib, cry, say her mama ain't treat her right, and I go on with Reginald to his building where he live at, and Wardine be sit deep far back in a closet in Reginald crib, and she be cry. Reginald gone lift Wardine out the closet, and me with him crying, and I be rub on the wet all over Wardine face, and Reginald be so careful when he take off all her shirts she got on. Tell Wardine to let me see. Wardine back all beat up and cut up. Big stripes of cut all up and down Wardine back. Pink stripes and around the stripes the skin like the skin on folks' lips be like. Sick down in my insides to look at it. Wardine be cry. Reginald say, Wardine say, her mama ain't treat her right. Say her mama beat Wardine with a hanger. Say Wardeen Mama Man Roy Tony be want to lie down with Wardeen. Be give Wardeen candy and fives. Be stand in her way in Wardeen face and he ain't let her pass without he all the time touching her. Reginald say Wardeen say Roy Tony at night when Wardeen Mama at work he come into the mattresses where Wardeen and William and Chantel and Roy the baby sleep at and he stand there in the dark high and say quiet things at her and breathe. Wardeen Mama say, Wardeen tempt Roy Tony into sin. Wardeen say, she say Wardeen try to take away Roy Tony into evil and sin with her young tight self. She beat Wardeen back with hangers out the closet. My mama say Wardeen Mama not right in her head. My mama scared of Roy Tony. Wardeen be cry. Reginald he down and beg for Wardeen. Tell Reginald Mama how Wardeen Mama treat Wardeen. Reginald say he love his Wardeen. Say he love, but ain't never before this time could understand why Wardeen won't lie down with him like girls do their man. Say Wardeen ain't never let Reginald take off her shirts until tonight she come to Reginald crib in his building and be cry. She let Reginald 
take off her shirts to see how Wardine Mama beat Wardine because Roy Tony. Reginald love his Wardine. Wardine be like to die of scared. She say no to Reginald beg. She say if she go to Reginald Mama, then Reginald Mama go to Wardine Mama, then Wardine Mama think Wardine be lie down with Reginald. Wardine say, her mama say, Wardine let a man lie down before she's 16 and she beat Wardine to death. Reginald say he ain't no way going to let that happen to Wardine. Roy Tony killed Dolores Epps' brother, Columbus Epps, at the Brighton Projects four years gone. Roy Tony on parole. Wardine say he show Wardine he got some thing on his ankle, send radio signals to parole that he's still here in Brighton. Roy Tony can't believe Brighton. Roy Tony brother be Wardine father. He gone. Reginald try to hush Wardine, but he cannot stop Wardine cry. Wardine look like crazy. She's so scared. She say she kill herself if me or Reginald tell our mamas. She say, Clinette, you my half sister. I am beg that you do not tell you mama on my mama and Roy Tony. Reginald tell Wardine to hush herself and lie down quiet. He put shed spread out the kitchen on Wardine cuts on her back. He run his finger with grease so careful down pink lines of her getting beat with a hanger. Wardine says she do not feel nothing in her back ever since spring. She lies stomach on Reginald floor and say she ain't got no feeling in her skin of her back. When Reginald gone to get the water, she asked me the truth. How bad is her back look when Reginald look at it? Is she still pretty, she cry. I ain't tell my mama on Wardine and Reginald and Wardine mama and Roy Tony. My mama scared of Roy Tony. My mama be the lady Roy Tony kill Columbus Epps over four years gone in the Brighton Projects for love. But I know Reginald tell. Reginald say he gone die before Wardine mama beat Wardine again. He say he take himself up, up, self up to Roy Tony and say him to not mess with Wardine or breathe by her mattress at night. He say he take himself on down to the playground at the Brighton Projects where Roy Tony do business and he go to Roy Tony man to man and he make Roy Tony make it all right. But I think Roy Tony gone, gone kill Reginald if Reginald go. I think Roy Tony gone kill Reginald and then Wardine mama beat Wardine to death with a hanger and then nobody know except me and I'm gone have a child. And that's that. That's that part. Let's let's move on. We meet Clinette again. Okay. Um, but not in her voice. <laughs> okay. Well, we can we can talk about that after. Let's do another little chunk. All right. Let's do some more. How? What time we got? It's that was only six minutes. Oh, then we got plenty of time. Oh yeah. All right. Uh, in the eighth American educational grade, Bruce Green fell dreadfully in love with a classmate who had the unlikely name of Mildred Bonk. The name was unlikely because if ever an eighth grader looked like a Daphne Christensen or a Kimberly St. Simone or something like that, it was Mildred Bonk. She was the kind of fatally pretty and nubile, wraith-like figure who glides through the sweaty junior high corridors of every nocturnal emitter's dreamscape. (laughs) Hair, Hair that green had heard described by an overwrought teacher as flaxen, a body which the fickle angel of puberty the same angel who didn't even seem to know Bruce Green's zip code, had visited, kissed, and already left back in sixth. Legs which not even orange kids with purple purple glitter-encrusted laces could cool. make unserious. Shy, iridescent, coltish, pelvically infractuous, amply busted, given to diffident movements of hand brushing flaxen hair from front of dear creamy forehead 
movements which drove Bruce Green up a private tree, a vision in a sundress and silly shoes, Mildred L. Bonk. And then, but by 10th grade, in one of those queer when-did-that-happen metamorphoses, Mildred Bonk had become an imposing member of the frightening Winchester High School set that smoked full-strength Marlboros in the alley between senior and junior halls and that left school altogether at lunchtime, driving away in loud, low-slung cars to drink beer and smoke dope, driving around with sound systems of illegal wattage, using visine and chlorets, etc. She was one of them. She chewed gum, or worse, in the cafeteria, her dear diffident face now a bored mask of attitude, her flaxen locks now teased and gelled into what looked for all the world like the consequence of a finger stuck into an electric socket. Bruce Green saved up for an, a low-slung old car and practiced attitude on the aunt who'd taken him in. He developed a will. And by the year of what would have been graduation, Bruce Green was way more bored, imposing, and frightening than even Mildred Bonk. And he and Mildred Bonk and tiny incontinent Harriet Bonk Green lived just off the Alston Spur in a shiny house trailer with another frightening couple and with Tommy Ducey, the infamous hair-lipped pot and sundries dealer who kept several large snakes in unclean, uncovered aquaria, which smelled which Tommy Ducey didn't notice because his upper lip completely covered his nostrils and all he could smell was lip. <laughs> Mildred Bonk got high in the afternoon and watched cereal cartridges and Bruce Green had a steady job at Leisure Time Ice and for a while, life was more or less one big party. Great. Uh, let's keep going. I have a lot to say on both those passages, but let's try to get another big chunk of this. Uh, all right, let's go back to Year of the Dependent Undergarment. Who, whose is this? Uh, this, is, this is like the current day. Most of this takes place during the YDAU. Okay. Um, and it's a conversation. Hal? Hey, Hal? Yes, Mario? Are you asleep? Boo-boo, we've been over this. I can't be asleep if we're talking. That's what I thought. Happy to reassure you. Boy, were you on today. Boy, did you ever make that guy look sick. When he hit that one down the line and you got it and fell down and hit that drop folly, Pemulus said the guy looked like he was going to be sick all over the net, he said. Boo, I kicked a kid's ass is all. End of story. I don't think it's good to rehash it when I've, just kicked, when I've kicked someone's ass. It's like a dignity thing. I think we should just let it sort of lie in state quietly. Speaking of which. Hey, Hal. Hey, Hal. It's late, Mario. It's sleepy time. Close your eyes and think fuzzy thoughts. That's what the moms always says, too. Always worked for me, boo. You think I think fuzzy thoughts all the time. You let me room with you because you feel sorry for me. Boo-boo, I'm not even going to dignify that. I'll regard it as like a warning sign. You always get petulant when you don't get enough sleep. And here we are seeing petulance already on the western horizon right here. When I asked if you were asleep, I was going to ask if you felt like you believed in God today out there when you were so on making that guy look sick. This again? Really don't think midnight in a totally dark room with me so tired my hair hurts and drill in six short hours is the time and place to get into this, Mario. You ask me this once a week. You never say is why. So tonight to shush you, how about if I say I have administrative bones to pick with God, boo? I'll say God seems to have a kind of laid-back management style I'm not crazy about. I'm pretty much anti-death. God looks, by all accounts, to be pro-death. 
I'm not seeing how we can get together on this issue, he and I, boo. You're talking about since himself passed away. See, you never say. I do too say. I just did. I just didn't happen to say what you wanted to hear, boo-boo, is all. There's a difference. I don't get how you couldn't feel like you believed today out there. It was so right there. You moved like you totally believed. How do you feel inside, not? Mario, you and I are mysterious to each other. We countenance each other from either side of some unbridgeable difference on this issue. Let's lie very quietly and ponder this. How? Hey, Hal. I'm going to propose that I tell you a joke, Boo, on the condition that afterwards you shush and let me sleep. Is it a good one? Mario, what do you get when you cross an insomniac, an unwilling agnostic, and a dyslexic? I give. You get somebody who stays up all night torturing himself mentally over the question of whether or not there's a dog. <laughs> That's a good one. Shh. Hey, Hal, what's an insomniac? Somebody who rooms with you, kid, that's for sure. Hey, Hal? How come the mom's never cried when himself passed away? I cried, and you, even CT cried. I saw him personally cry. You listened to Tosca over and over and cried and said you were sad. We all were. Hey, Hal, did the mom seem like she got happier after himself passed away to you? It seems like she got happier. She seems even taller. She stopped traveling everywhere all the time for this and that thing, the corporate grammar thing, the library protest thing. Well, now she never goes anywhere, boo. Now she's got the headmaster's house and her office and the tunnel in between and never leaves the grounds. She's a worse workaholic than she ever was and more obsessive compulsive. When's the last time you saw a dust moat in that house? Hey, Hal. Now she's just an agoraphobic workaholic and obsessive compulsive. This strikes you as happification? Her eyes are better. They don't seem as sunk in. They look better. She laughs at CT way more than she laughed at himself. She laughs from lower down inside. She laughs more. Her jokes, she tells her, better ones than yours even now a lot of the time. How come she never got sad? She did get sad, boo-boo. She just got sad in her own way instead of yours and mine. She got sad, I'm pretty sure. Hal? You remember how the staff lowered the flag to half-mast out front by the portcullis here after it happened? Do you remember that? And it goes to half-mast every year at convocation? Remember the flag, boo? Hey, Hal? Don't cry, boo-boo. Remember the flag only halfway up the pole? Boo-boo, there are two ways to lower a flag to half-mast. Are you listening? Because no shit, I really have to sleep here in a second. So listen. One way to lower the flag to half-mast is just to lower the flag. There's another way, though. You can also just raise the pole. You can raise the pole to like twice its original height. You get me? You understand what I mean, Mario? Hal? She's plenty sad, I bet. At 20... Oh, God, I don't know how to say... How do you say military time? At 2100? 20... 2000? 2010? Yeah. At 2010... At... uh. 2010 hours? Yeah. Sorry, I'm so fucking stupid. At 2010 hours, on 1 April YDAU, the medical attache is still watching the unlabeled entertainment cartridge. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Is that enough for Yeah, let's stop, stop there because it's a little a little short. We didn't make the usual 10. Um, but uh, I feel like there's a lot to discuss in those. Yes. Uh, those first two chapters, the AAVE mm-hmm. into the Mildred Bonk chapter. Mm-hmm 
are so frustrating. Yeah. Because the AV chapter is so cringe. It's deeply cringe. And then the Mildred chapter just like immediately reminds you about like why, he, how he is a, actually a great writer and yeah. fun and like funny and, and everything. It's just like one into another. It's like, come on, guy. Why'd you have to do that? Yeah. I don't. That's the thing. I don't know why he had to do that. Because he's obs- he's obsessed with AVE and he's obsessed particularly with intellectually mastering it. Yes, but he got it wrong. Yes. He did not do a good job. He's obviously like, clearly this book is about, you know, grammar. Yeah. Uh, the Hal's mother, Avril, is a um, a, prescri- a prescriptive yeah. grammarian. Yes. Who like, it's, I mean, it sounds from that Mario conversation too. Like she goes of library, pro- she's like an academic. Like, like a, li- a library activist. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, but I know that I know that he's obsessed with it because, and I would also say, having read all of his essays, yes, uh, if I remember correctly, one of the worst essays is the one where he's talking about AAVE and prescriptive versus descriptive grammar, mm-hmm. and is basically centered around an anecdote of him like black explaining black language to a black student. Yes, uh, which you know he, he's ba- he basically advocates, if I can remember this correctly, he. He does say that AAV is a legitimate uh, form of usage. Yes. But that basically people, like black people need to code switch. Like he, he's advocate, like he basically says in an academic institution, you have to at least meet the, the white supremacist academic standard of language. Which yeah. now I think, you know, however many years past that, I think we're a little bit further on with that discourse. Yeah. I mean, it's... I obviously don't want to get too far into it. I mean, as far I also think that he talks about probably correctly, like that if if you are to consider a ve like a second like a a legitimate usage language, then you have to like prescribe like know that there are rules to it and mm-hmm. be able to describe them and how it works effectively. And I mm-hmm. think this is him trying to demonstrate that he can create grammatical rules around like informal usage English, yeah, by like showing it off in his book. And I think it fails. Also fails that his like one usage of the AAV in the chapter is like very grossly about like kind of exploitative trauma. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, there's a lot more trauma (laughs) in this book. But but when it's introduced, it's it's very much like it comes off like a hack trying to write Beloved or something. Yeah. Which is not a good not a good look, David right? Foster you've got was. you've got two half sisters. Clinette is the one who's yeah. who's being told the story. Clinette's mom is the person that Roy Tony killed someone over. Roy yeah. Tony is uh, Wardine's uncle. Yeah, there's it's it's just like there's a lot going on there, and none of it comes off <laughs> comes off without going like oh, oh. It, it really just feels like he's trying to rub your face into something, which is not a good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Demonst- even if you wanted to demonstrate, like, here's how you can use AAVE in a, in a, like, literary sense, it just doesn't feel like the right way to do it, especially if that's the one time it's used in the entire book. Yes. Yes. And then you go into that Mildred chapter, which is, I was just thinking that that is like, that chapter is like the joke mm-hmm. on Twitter that everybody said, that everybody occasionally pops up as being like, every white author describing a, a, a woman. She was nubile, like a like a shapely rubber band. Yeah, Her she, skin made snow look impure. She breasted boobily down the <laughs> stairs. But it's actually fun and funny. And the parts where he does say that, he's like making fun he's of making pe- fun of the idea of, of people yeah. uh, doing that. And it's like 
it's it's just buoyant pro and funny prose mm-hmm. and what you want to see of him doing that and making fun of that type of thing that he knows to be cliche. Mm-hmm. And then it's so they're having those two things right into each other is just this huge. I mean, I know that that's what he's trying to do, tonal whiplash, but it just doesn't feel successful. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And then Hal and Mario having their little conversation. Yeah. Which I guess belies, unless Mario is like a fantasy or something, that Hal can actually properly well, communicate this is the with year, people. This is the year of the dependent adult undergarment. Um, the, when he was having his freak out in the... Um, University of Arizona admissions office. That was the year of Glad, which I believe is the year after it. So maybe something happens to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So at one time, at he one was time he was able to communicate of communication. Yeah, but, but we still don't know what his to what extent his freak out is inability to communicate or mm-hmm. people unable to understand. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This whole I think the first like maybe twelve episodes of this podcast are going to be like seeing all the. You know, it's like in a movie where there's like scenes of like one person's like buying a bread, a piece of bread and joshing with the baker. And then but another person is in like the salt mines, like <laughs> all sweaty. And then you realize like they're going to. Yeah, they're going to. Yeah. Is there a word for that? Uh, Plot. The, fil- <laughs> the, the film babble. The film babble. Yes. He's, he's babbling. <laughs> he's here. babbling. Yeah. No, he's, he's setting up a bunch of pieces. It's like building a jigsaw puzzle. You, you build like the little sections. You're like, oh, here's. Yeah, here's going. the car, and over here is you know the dog, and up here is the cloud, and yeah. you slowly fill everything in. I, I mean, I I love stuff like that. Um, I don't know. You have any more thoughts on this no. portion? No, no, no. Well, I'm glad we we now powered through this twice. I believe yeah. this is the exact same segment that we read, uh, in the tent. Yes, the, the lost episode. Yes. Um. All right. Ooh, one more thing that I would like to start doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Uh, what what page numbers did we read today? Uh, in the in the big old paperback, we made it up to uh, page forty two, and we started on mm, page thirty seven. Okay, so not much, but yeah. a lot to wrestle with in this yeah. section. Section. So in the description, I'll put page thirty seven to forty two. Wonderful, great. Uh, anything else? Oh God, damn it! In my running theme of of cultural um. Insanity runes. Somebody else, uh, somebody else uh, posted a suggested one to me, and now I forget it. <sighs> keep suggesting them to me, and I'll keep on trying to remember them. Mm-hmm. Put them, put them in things. Pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice might be. Pumpkin spice seems to drive a lot of people uh, crazy. Mm-hmm. But I would honestly put that uh, into a, a overall generalized thing uh, that seems to drive people crazy, which is the uh, cultural proclivities of young white women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Which, well like taylor swift yeah or just like Bas- basicness Does yeah basicness things that yeah like that crazy. basic dude they seem to enrage people in a, on a certain level the the fucking the fall girl thing when that that christian girl autumn when that picture came out people that for some reason the idea of like 12 normal looking women enjoying something just seemed to make people mad yeah i mean you, I guess it's because you assume that they have some sort of like basic privilege or so, or like privilege that they're not they recognizing. Or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. It's it is something that is just like, oh boy, these twelve normal looking girls just enjoying something that's gonna piss a whole lot of people off. <laughs> <laughs> people don't. don't people don't like when when women have fun. No, any women, any women. Yeah. All right, should we sign off? Yeah. Okay. Uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye.